The Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, spouse and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether there is enough to complete it? Otherwise, when a foundation has been laid and the builder is not able to finish the building, all will see it and begin to ridicule the builder, saying, This person began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king? going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I hate you. Parents of angsty teenagers have been hearing that phrase repeated for years. And if we were being completely literal about today's gospel, I guess it could be argued that any time a teenager has uttered that phrase, they were simply following the command of Jesus. <laughs> After all, our gospel opens up with some tough, confounding words from Jesus. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. What are we supposed to do with that? Is this just an example of Jesus using hyperbole to get our attention or use dramatic effect? Or are we really supposed to go against our family values and hate our parents, spouses, kids, even life itself, all to be a disciple of Jesus? And if that's not enough, Jesus punctuates today's gospel by saying, none of you can become my disciple, my, become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Now, I don't want to be that guy who apologizes for Jesus or tries to soften his words. He said what he said, and as much as I wish I could explain it all away, I think we just have to sit for a moment in discomfort with Jesus' words. Real words. Words that don't sound very life-giving. Words that in many ways might even feel like death. But even though Jesus' words are hard for us to hear, as Easter people, we have nothing to fear. We don't have to avoid or deny the death of certain things that Jesus is calling for here. And perhaps what Jesus meant by hating family is to let die the idea that the nuclear family is the only thing by which we are to make our decisions and live our lives. After all, some pretty terrible things have been justified using the words, I was just trying to protect my family, or I just had to put food on my table for my family. Maybe Jesus wants us to recognize the familial relationship we have with all people, even creation. 
So Jesus sets a difficult challenge for us and asks us to die to the narrow, nuclear, exclusive ideas of family so that we can experience a, a relational reshaping, reforming, a resurrection, and see that carrying our cross also means contributing to the wholeness of all human beings, our siblings of God. But even as I say this, I have a confession to make. I'm preaching this sermon today because it's a sermon that I need to hear right now. And I had this realization this week as I watched news stories of the devastation from Hurricane Dorian. The stories I followed from the Bahamas were shocking. The latest numbers I heard were that 43 people had died with that number expected to rise. And reporters were using phrases like, there are bodies everywhere. As I read articles and watched news clips with images of just the total devastation in the Bahamas, my confession is that I didn't really feel that gut-wrenching pit in my stomach that I would have felt if my direct <coughs> nuclear family members had been ones who had died in that hurricane. Maybe I'm being a bit too hard on myself and my reaction to this news might just be a normal reaction. But if that's the case, it makes Jesus' words to us today even harder since we are being asked to do something by him that's something unnatural, unnormal. To love people that aren't even our close friends or family, people we don't know, people we've never even met. Unnatural as it may be, and as supernatural as it may seem we need to be in order to actually live into Jesus' words. Jesus is asking us to commit to discipleship fully, to go all the way. But in order to commit fully, we must also be aware and count all the full cost of discipleship. Jesus uses the metaphor of the builder and the king to teach us this. It's the builder who fails to count the cost of going all the way and finishing the tower and just being able to finish the foundation and as a result they are ridiculed. Or the king who has to consider his unlikely odds of winning in battle and instead of going out and fighting and losing, they send a delegation to ask for terms of peace. Jesus wants us to be fully aware, to be fully prepared and ready disciples who truly count the full cost of discipleship and commit to carrying our crosses faithfully by giving up all that we are attached to until we possess nothing but the grace of God. But who alone, who alone can truly prepare themselves in this way for this kind of detachment from earthly things and commitment to Christ? I know I can't. And this was confirmed for me this week as I was watching the news of Hurricane Dorian's devastation. More than sadness that I felt, there was a sense of guilt because I wanted to be moved to action as I watched this news. I wanted to work collectively to stop climate change so that people don't have to be sacrificed to ever intensifying weather. But there are plenty of times when I give in to the temptation to put down my cross. And if I'm being honest, I don't just put my cross down, but I put it on others to bear it for me. And the people of the Bahamas are just the most recent example of this. People who have the least to do with climate change, but bear the burden of our collective inaction. 
I, we, we need a relational reshaping, a reformation, a resurrection experience to be able to see people like the ones in the Bahamas as our family in the same way that we would regard our own nuclear family. <coughs> it requires of us a, a death and resurrection of relationship. Like the, relation, the resurrection of relationship from slave to sibling that Paul asks Philemon to experience with Onesimus in our second reading. Paul says this, Philemon, you might have Onesimus back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If left to us, this relational death and resurrection is almost impossible. But through God, the potter, we can be shaped and reshaped until our vessel is wide enough to encompass and hold the whole human family as we would our own nuclear family. God, the potter, is at the wheel, is at work reshaping, reforming, resurrecting our broken and spoiled vessels. This image of God from our first reading in Jeremiah, it harkens back to the creation story in Genesis. And since the day of our creation, when God breathed life into the dust and the clay of our own beings, God has not stopped. God has continued to shape and to reshape us at God's wheel. God is not done with us. Each of us earthen vessels is being endlessly reformed and resurrected by God, our potter. And while I personally was disappointed with my lack of emotional reaction to the news this week, I know that God is making space within my heart and within all of our hearts to have real, authentic love for all people and all creation. And just when I was starting to feel like the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz this week, you know, no heart, I listened to season three of the podcast Serial. I listened to the whole thing all in one week. I probably spent more time on that than I should have, but it's a great season. They spent a year on this podcast recording in the Cuyahoga County Justice Center in Cleveland, Ohio. And they reported on the stories that came out of their experiences in that courthouse. And if you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend that you do. There's stories of pain and injustice in the Cleveland Justice Center that that moved me, even to tears at some points. And I felt the Holy Spirit in the stories that they told in the Serial Podcast. It felt like it connected me to the people in this podcast that I'll probably never meet. But in this experience, I could feel God. I could feel the Holy Spirit reshaping, reforming, and resurrecting me with every story that I heard. Each story reminded me of the larger family of God uniting me with the siblings that our world has ignored and forgotten and oppressed. Being moved by this podcast this week, I was comforted knowing that I can't move myself into being a fully committed disciple of Christ, but I can trust that God, our potter, is shaping me, forming me, reshaping, reforming me, resurrecting me after Dying every, every death that true discipleship asks of me. There's no softening it or explaining it away. Discipleship and carrying our cross 
will ask of us. It will ask a lot of us. And as earthen vessels filled with the breath of God, it will bend us, it will crack us, it will spoil us. But God, our potter, is ever creating us anew until we fully live into the kinship we share as members of the family of God. It's a kinship that extends far beyond our homes into the farthest corners of our cosmos. And relationally reshaped, reformed, and resurrected, we are being made one 